This is week six in needs assessment and gap analysis. So there's a wealth of things we're going to be going through this week in terms of the videos. Um, I think this is a fun section to go through. There's a lot of neat stuff and it's, it's creative and an easy way of looking at, at where you're going, how you're moving forward. The objectives are to discuss the roles of organizational analysis, person analysis, and task analysis in the needs assessment, three different functions. Identify different methods used in needs assessment. Discuss, discuss the concerns of upper and middle level management and trainers in needs assessment. Explain how personal characteristics, input and output and consequences influence the learning or the needs uh, format. Create conditions to ensure that employees are receptive to training. Discuss the steps involved in conduct to conducting a task analysis. Analyze the task analysis data to determine the task in which people need to be tra trained. And explain the competency model and the process used to develop those. So there's a lot of very creative things in the next uh, 45 videos that we will be going through. Is part one of the needs assessment. Why is the needs assessment important? Whenever you are looking at trying to identify an activity to work on or training that may be incomplete, you need to evaluate what um, are the gaps, what are the needs. So a needs assessment, it, it, training could be used, it could be saying that training's the problem or we need to do training when it may not be the proper solution. Programs have the wrong content or objectives or methods. And so you need to make sure that um, you are attacking or addressing the right things. You can say that training trainees need to be sent to basic skills, prerequisite skills, and, and they may not need that. They may need something totally different, but you don't know it unless you go through the process. Training will not deliver the expected results. That's a key component is we think training is the cure-all for everything, and it's not. For some situations, it's not. And money spent on the training program may be unnecessary. So all these are reasons why the needs assessment is important to be able to go through and identify what the true problem is. Who should participate? Anybody that is a stakeholder that has a, a unique perspective needs to participate in it. Company leaders, mid-level managers, trainers, employees, subject matter, matter experts. Any one of this group and all of these should have some relative role in going through a needs assessment and making sure that uh, information is, is gathered and understood properly. How should you collect the data? There's, there's lots of ways of doing it. And, and I can't emphasize enough that, that based on your individual situation, in your organization, when you're starting to do a needs assessment, you may use all of these, you may use one of these, it, it all varies. The first one is observation. The second one is surveys, interviews, focus groups, documentation, technology and historical data. We're gonna be talking about each one of those as to the, the best method, the strengths and limitations for each one of those. So the first one is observations. The advantage is it gives you relative data nearby. It minimizes the interruption of work. So you're not impacting the worker that's doing the work. The disadvantages to observation is that you have to be a skilled, uh, you have to have certain set of prerequisite skills to be able to do that. And unfortunately, when you're observing 
just like if somebody's observing you do something, you may slightly alter what you usually do, then, then so you don't get a true perspective of what the uh, disadvantage or what the needs assessment is because they're acting differently than what they would normally. Surveys, they're inexpensive. You can collect data from large numbers of individuals and the data is easy to summarize and analyze. What you're missing is that um, usually you get a low response rate and you don't get that secondary questioning that you would otherwise. It only provides answers to the specific questions that you're asking. So it lacks detail because you can't ask that level of detail with knowing the results of the first question. It does take time to do, but, but it, um, in many cases, it's a very quick and uh, inexpensive way for gathering data and analysis. Interviews, great at uncovering all the details and, and you can delve into that. And the questions can be modified as you are talking to the uh, interviewee, you modify your questions to some degree so that you can get a true picture of what the uh, situation is. The disadvantages is it's time consuming. It's difficult to analyze because you get multiple answers. You're not getting uh, on a Likert scale one to five, you're getting multiple answers on that. You need to have skilled interviewers who know how to ask the right questions. The SMEs uh, may provide socially desirable information, but they, 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 again, they may provide you what's socially desirable, but not the correct answer, not, not what's really going on. So there's pros and cons to each one of these. Focus groups and crowdsourcing. The advantage is that it's useful for a complex or controversial issue. You can get a lot of good data and depth of data. You can explore unex, uh, unexpected issues can prop up and you can ask more questions about it. It reduces the risk that training will be rejected by the stakeholders because they're buying into that. <clears throat> if you're asking them questions on it, they have ownership in the answers they're giving you, which in turn would say that they would have ownership in the training which you go back to the videos we talked about before in terms of management, that's critical. The disadvantage is that it, that it takes time to, uh, uh, to organize and conduct. And group members may only provide you with socially desirable responses. And you're gonna see that a couple of different places. And that's a key component that I'm gonna tell you what I think you wanna know rather than what the, the true results are. For documentation, it's a great source of information. You have OEMs, you have the manufacturer user manuals, you have lots of different things. It's objective. You're not getting variable opinions on it. Um, it gives you step-by-step -step and good task information for new jobs and jobs in process of being created. So it's excellent in that regard. The disadvantages is that you may have to sort through 30 pages to find the answer to one question. So it's, it's difficult to understand and it runs the ability or runs the risk of being obsolete because it will over time uh, automatically make it um, incorrect. Technology, by now you know me well enough that I'm an advocate of technology. I think that's great. It's objective, it minimizes work interruptions and it limits, limits human involvement. The disadvantage is that people feel threatened by technology. 
employees feel threatened by technology. And so they may not ask the question right. And that the, the managers on occasion will use the data to punish rather than train. Remember I talked about in um, reward and um, the reward sector for uh, reinforcement and punishment is a key component. So you need to be aware of that. Historical data provides data on performance and you can have so much data that it will uh, provide a massive amount of data that you have to sort through and figure out what's really relative. The disadvantage is that it may be inaccurate or incomplete because it depends on how you were collecting the data and the depth of how you were collecting the data to know if it's relative or not and how to interpret it. So all of these ways of collecting data have different pros and cons, advantages and disadvantages. And you need to think about what's the best way to use the data and, and gather the data you need so you can make an intelligent decision. Three levels of analysis that, that you need to go through when you're doing this organization, person, and task analysis. And these are critical as you walk through it. Organizational analysis means that determining if the training is appropriate. Does it mirror the company strategy or the, the department strategy and the strategic direction as to what they want to do? Are there resources, the training resources, time, and expertise available and committed to doing that? Is the organization supportive of that? Is the organization supportive of the social support that individuals need to be motivated to attend the training, learn, and transfer that knowledge back again? So these are the type of factors from an organizational standpoint. The person analysis deals with something different again. It, is, it involves, is the person, what they're currently doing and the expected performance for that individual different or not? Or is it similar? And if it's similar, then what's the expected outcome? It involves obtaining massive amounts of information on the person characteristics, the input, output, consequences, and feedback. These are all key components. There was a company that I know that had a, a production problem, it was a 24-7 operation, and one of the individuals that was working on it had, had three to four times more errors than anybody else that ran that piece of equipment on any other shift. They brought us in to try to figure out why was this happening? What was this individual doing wrong that created such a higher error ratio for him compared to everybody else? What we found is that everybody else, whenever they had a problem, would go to this individual and ask him to help them fix the problem. So consequently, he would do trial and error to try to resolve the problem for everybody else and that would show up under his time frame that his production was lower and he had a higher error ratio as opposed to the other individuals going through and trying to figure it out themselves. Now, in reality, what happened is he was able to rectify the situation for those individuals quicker, but he still had a higher error ratio. So we had to, when we did the analysis of, of his performance, we had to take that into consideration. So there are a lot of things you look at when you're looking at a person analysis besides just pure statistics and the characteristics there. The basic skills. Those are skills that, that the employee needs to have to be able to uh, perform successfully on the job, 
have, have the, the literacy uh, to be able to understand what's being talked about, what the reading skills are. There's a company here in town that we've worked with that has a high Latino rate. And what they found is on the uh, work that the employees were doing, um, a lot of the employees couldn't read the work processes because they were in English. And these folks had struggled with reading English. They lacked the basic skills for doing that. So we went through and put a, a and worked with them to get an English version and a Spanish version up, and it improved overnight. Cognitive ability. Cognitive ability relates to the intellectual capacity and general intelligence of the individuals. And this deals specifically with verbal comprehension and quantitative ability and reasoning. Can they do the math skills? Do they understand if I say we need to do ABC? Is, is there an understanding of that? A lot of people don't have the, the, that ability to follow through and do that, do some of this. And that's okay. We need, as trainers, we need to work with them to improve that piece of it so that they're successful in what they're doing and we don't have to worry about their uh, ability to speak English or to understand what we're saying, we put them in a job where it makes it easier for them to do uh, and deal with those kinds of situations. Reading ability, which we talked about already, um, there's a tremendous amount of individuals that have lower reading capabilities, whether it's, it's because of English is not their primary language um, or they just don't have that skill set to do that. Knowing that that is a, is a function, then we as trainers, we as managers need to think about how we can improve that situation for those employees so they can be successful as well. Self-efficacy relates to the trainee's belief that they can master the training content and, before the, and perform the job. It's a motivation. It's a it's the trainees don't have the confidence that they can they can do the work. And if they don't have that ability, then their motivation will suffer and they're not going to be able to do that. So we need to make sure that we build that into in the training programs that we enhance and make sure the employees know that that everything they're doing, they have the ability to master that content. And if they don't, then we're going to alter the content to make it in a position where they can do that. Enhancing that, the self-efficacy is letting know that goals are there to improve their performance. Describe the success of their peers. Let them know that other people have been able to do it. Emphasize that learning is under the trainee's control. So they have the ability to go through and constantly review and expand what they know and how they're going to go about doing it. And, and emphasize to the trainees that they have the ability, that they're they have the direct ability to overcome the obstacles. And these are extremely critical components for self-worth for your employees. Generational differences, and, and we had the whole section on generations, but it, it needs to be readdressed here, um, is the needs of career interest and goals are different based on different generations. And, and how you go about doing that is markedly different in terms of designing your training function. The link between the link between training and the areas where the employee needs to improve should be emphasized. 
and demonstrate it to the employees so they were fully aware of that component and how they go about it. Age is a problem. We do not um, build age in in anything that we do, but there are biological differences, both in terms of your mental capacities tend to decline, your hearing capacities tend to decline as, as you begin to age. And so we need to be aware of that for those employees to make sure that we can adjust what they're doing or enhance what they're doing um, so that they're successful in that regard. Generational differences, uh, we talked about this, but I want to go over it again because I think it's important. Gen Zs are entrepreneur and tech savvy. We know that. Millennials are optimistic. They embrace technology and they appreciate diversity. And in both of these cases, you look at the technology component, and that's extremely critical as to how you're going to use technology for not only gathering data, but also for using data. Generation X appreciates feedback and flexibility, and they dislike close supervision. They like being on their own accord and doing their own work. Baby boomers are competitive. They're hardworking and they're concerned about fairness. They want to make sure that everybody's doing their fair share, but they're, they're more than willing to go out of their way. And traditionalists, which are matures, are patriotic, loyal, and have a great deal of knowledge. Baby boomers and traditionalists are the groups that are continuing to leave the workforce and, and migrate out of the workforce. And they're taking a tremendous amount of, of knowledge with them. And as trainers, it's our opportunity, our obligation to try to figure out how we can um, enhance that and retain that knowledge and pass that on to the Gen Z's, Millennials, and uh, Gen X. So resources is the next topic I want to address. And, and it, it's a simple, it's, there's not a lot, it's not um, a real intense uh, video, but you have inputs that relate to the resources that employees need to have to help them learn. That could be um, how the program is designed, the technology that's used. Um, it, could, it could be on the depth of knowledge, all of those types of things that we've talked about. The situation constraints are, do they have the equipment and, and materials used to perform the job? And then there's social support. Do, is the managers and their peers willing to provide feedback and reinforcement from an input standpoint? As it relates to output, it, it directly ties to what the job performance outcomes are. It's, an important, it's important to assess the employee's perception of performance expectation levels. What am I expected to do? What's the performance I'm expected to uh, adhere to? Trainees need to understand the level of expected proficiency. So not only are they expected to do perform at a certain level, what's the minimum level proficient? What's the proficiency level that they need to be performing at? And then there are consequences. There's different types of rewards that employees receive for performing well. We talked about this under um, uh, motivation. Employees do not believe rewards are, if employees do not believe rewards are adequate, motivation will suffer. Let me say that again. If the employees don't believe rewards are adequate, motivation will suffer. So if you come back and say, well, because of COVID and everything else, we're going to give a 1% salary increase this year. And they don't believe that because they're hearing about everybody else getting all these other higher numbers. 
their motivation is going to suffer until somebody addresses that. Motivation to learn can be enhanced by communicating the job, person, and career benefits of learning. As a manager, one of the things you have as you need to do is to provide feedback to your employees as to what they what they're lacking, what the next job progression should be, and what do they need to lo- to learn to be a viable candidate for that job. So those are types of things. That falls into the same category as feedback. And feedback, and we've talked about it, is what are we giving back to the employees? And do they need specific and detailed feedback? What degree of detailed feedback do they need? What's the frequency of feedback? If you look at Gen Y, they like feedback on a much more routine basis um, than baby boomers. So you need to think about the type and frequency of feedback that you're giving to the employees. Is training the best solution? And this is, this is critical, and, and it's tough to do, is if we have a need, we've identified a gap, or a needs assessment has identified a gap, what is the appropriate way of addressing that gap? Is training the right methodology or is it something else? Do we need to alter the methodology, the, the production methodology? Can the employees demonstrate the correct knowledge or behavior so they don't need training? Were performance expectations clear? Have we defined that for our employees so they know what they're supposed to be doing were there positive consequences offered for good, good performance versus negative performance? Are they getting appropriate feedback? Were other solutions too expensive or unrealistic? And this is a key one. If other solutions are too expensive or unrealistic, we need to talk to the employees about that and say, we can't do that. And here's the reason why. And here's the ramifications of that. So these are all different types of solutions for how to address some of these concerns. Task analysis. And this this gets hairy because the results of a task analysis is that you're going through and you're describing the knowledge, skills, and ability required to perform a certain job or a certain task. The employees that are doing that job that you're doing this analysis for may take it very personal as to why you are looking at that. And are they not performing at a level that they need to to be performing at? A task is a specific work activity or component of a job, and that's important. The task may be, the job may be three different tasks, but you're only looking at one task to be able to be successful in your task analysis. The task analysis is looking at, does the employee have the necessary uh, KSAs? If you think back, we talked about KSAs as knowledge, skills, ability, and then other is other requirements um, as well. And do they have the ability, do they possess the right knowledge and the right skills and the abilities? Those are the, the big ones in my mind to be able to perform the task as it's defined. If they don't, then we need to figure out why, and that's where the gap analysis comes in. The task analysis steps are you select the job to be analyzed. You develop a preliminary list of tasks to be analyzed. You validate the list of tasks with this SME, 
And then after the most important task of identified, you identify the most important KSAs. So not only are you looking at a task, you're breaking the task down into all of its components. You're validating that all those tasks are the correct tasks that need to be compiled. And then you're relating that to the KSAs that are required to do that task. Because the next piece after that, or the last piece, is that you're looking at, does the employee have those KSAs when you start looking at the, doing the employee analysis? So you're, you're going through a very systematic approach for trying to decide and do the task analysis for different jobs. This next section I've got uh, titled as competency model, but we're gonna go into a couple other things in this space as well. A competency model identifies the competencies necessary to do a job. They provide a description of the competencies that are common for the entire occupation, organization, job family, specifications. And they're useful for a variety of HR purposes. So competency models get are moved back at a little bit higher level in terms of your the, the uh, company, the organization, the job families, many companies have job families, but it, it's the competency. So you're defining not only the task, but then remember on the task analysis, I said, you're looking at the KSAs, well, then you're also looking at the comp. Now you're looking at the competencies of those to see if you have the right competencies to be able to do that for that model. They identify behaviors that are needed. They provide a tool for determining what skills are necessary to meet current and future needs. The future needs is a, is a critical piece because things are changing. So we need to be able to identify what the future needs are gonna be. They help determine the skills. Remember KSAs are, or the task analysis was looking at the KSAs at different career points. Their skills at different career points as you migrate over time. They provide a framework for ongoing coaching and feedback. So as a manager, I can sit back and work with an employee to move them from point B, A to point D over time with a steady rate of improvement. I can create a, a roadmap for developing future managers. One of the things I've said to you already is that I believe that a manager's responsibility is making sure that every individual that's, that reports to him or her is in a position from a knowledge standpoint to assume the next level job, whatever that next level job is. So you need to define what their normal progression would be and then what skills are needed for the next level job. And then that's the roadmap that you define for them. And then you assure you work with them to get the training for it. And then it's also providing a common set of criteria for identified training activities. There are some training activities that as an organization you want to do. And there are some that are geared specifically for a, a specific job. So the, the developing a competency model is very similar to the task analysis. We identify the business strategy or goals. We identify the jobs, positions, or job families as how they feed into that. We conduct interviews and focus groups of the top performers so we know how they're adhering to the first two. Then we go through and start defining, documenting what the competencies are and that, what that competency model is. Then we're going to go back in and revalidate that, review and validate that model to make sure the same thing. Then we're going to go back to the beginning and try it again to make sure that we're not missing something. 
So that's the steps in developing a competency model. The scope of a needs assessment, and we're gonna to touch on this just very briefly. Um, managers many times will avoid doing a needs assessment because they feel that it will demonstrate poor management on their behalf. And that's not the, that's not the intent. The intent is to decide if there are gaps that need to be addressed. In many cases, they, the managers may say, well, we have excuses for these and you're not conducting a needs assessment. You're not worrying about what the excuses are. You're trying to document um, what the proper assessment is, what the proper methodology is, what the proper targeted statements are to be able to, to address those. Then you go track through and you start looking at what things need to be done. A needs assessment is a practice that would not collect all the information presented in a textbook. It's tailored to, for the situation at hand. So you can't use a textbook or, or uh, an operation manual to do it. Sometimes you're gonna do a rapid needs assessment that would be appropriate. And we talked about what a rapid needs assessment is versus a non-rapid needs assessment, uh, regular needs assessment and those components. So that way we can accurately define what needs to be done in the appropriate time frame. So those are so those are different formats for you to think about in terms of needs assessment. SWOT analysis. I love doing SWOT analysis because you can do it for so many things. SWOT analysis is strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. You can do it at a company level, at a department level. You can do it. Um, I've actually had students do it at, at for Purdue University or for athletics, a certain football team or basketball team. The internal, the key components are you have the internal control, strengths and weaknesses are internally, things you have control over, things you can adjust. The opportunities or threats are external. You don't have control over those. You might be able to impact those, but you don't have control over those. And you may have some, some items that are a strength, but they're also an opportunity depending upon how you look at it. Or it might be a weakness and it may be a threat depending upon how you're looking at that specific aspect or documenting that specific aspect of your what you're doing your analysis on. Again, you can do it at a company level. One of the things that, I, that I'm gonna have y'all do is go through and do a SWOT analysis. You're going to select a company, you're gonna look at their um, mission and vision statement, and you're gonna look for gaps. As part of that gap analysis, you're gonna do a SWOT analysis. And the SWOT analysis then will tell you from a weakness standpoint, again, weaknesses are internal that you have control over, things that training could adjust to make it better for the organization and move it from a weakness to a strength. So that's one of the things you're gonna be doing in the, in the near future. So that's a very brief video on SWOT analysis, but it's extremely important for you to know what it is and how to go about doing it.